This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. All right, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Just for a few minutes, we're going to be looking at a few different verses tonight. But I want you to start Philippians chapter 4. And tonight, once again, as we're starting out, we're coming in these, these weeks around this time in the fall, looking at counseling sessions on what are some of the most uh, predominant things that people will come into a pastor's office and say, Pastor, I need help. Uh, and one of the issues that I would say, we, we've looked at a few different ones, but one that will significantly come up is the issue of debt, okay? The issue of debt. And that is the financial strain that people have on their life. Uh, now, I was saying this once again to my kids because they're in there uh, helping prepare the meal. And I said, well, and Obi said, what are you teaching on tonight? I said, debt and how to get out of it. And he says, I don't need to worry about that. I got too many grandparents. And I said, okay, so um, perspective, pretty spot on, right? Uh, but um, I believe this, that there are so many people that, um, for those of you, you, you can identify with this, right? Um, finances have a way into creeping into almost every other aspect of your life. The more that you have, the less that you have, the stress that it brings, it will convolute your own mental stability. It will frustrate uh, family relationships, uh, cause you to get stressed out and to do things that you know you shouldn't do, but just sort of justify all types of different things. And so tonight, um, I want to look at the Bible, what does it teach, but I also want to get very, very practical in what this looks like. Philippians chapter 4, um, the uh, probably, I would say, one of the most famous Bible verses in all of Scripture comes here in verse 13. And I don't think y'all can even say it before you look at it, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Okay, so Philippians 4, 13 is wonderful. And I always love that verse because I always think about, um, you know, a football team on one side. And they got Philippians 4, 13 written, you know, underneath their eyes and whatnot. And they're praying like, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then on the other side of the football field, the other team, they're, they're quoting Philippians 4, 13. And God's in heaven going, what am I going to do here, people, right? They're, they're both saying they can win this game because Christ strengthens me. But I, I don't think that's necessarily the verse has given us a lot of confidence because of what Christ's strength is, but it's a very different thing. Now, for those of you who've been around here for a while, we know that we want to always look in context in Scripture because what Satan loves to do is to take a verse out of context and use it for his own agenda. So whenever we look at even Philippians 4.13, as powerful as it is, I want you to really understand what it's about. So go back uh, just a few verses to verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if you just look at that paragraph, it's saying it a little bit different than you can just win a football game. What is it saying? If I'm hungry, I can make it because Christ strengthens me. If I'm well-fed, I can do it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. If I am poor, broke as broke can be, I can make it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. If I am rich, I can do it all because Christ who strengthens me. So no matter what situation of life that you're in, he says, I've learned the secret, and this is very important. It says to be content. To be content. What I have, it's enough. And here's what I realize. Um, there has never been a moment in my life where I've been 100% okay with that sentiment. And probably maybe you have. But right, we, we always look and say, okay, Lord, thank you for what I, you've given me. But if I could just have a little bit more, right? Grass is always greener on the what? 
other side, right? You always see what somebody else has, and you think that it's better and that you need it. And so one of the things that Paul is dealing with here is he's saying, look, I, I, I realize this. I'm struggling to be content. Uh, but he says, I know that no matter. And, and Paul would say, I, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be well-fed. I know what it's like to be um, in, in danger. I know what it's like to be secure. I know all these different things. And how do I make it? It's because Christ who strengthens me. And so tonight, as we look at this, if you look at your handout there, um, that first opening line says, discontentment will lead to justifying debt. Okay? Discontentment, you're not okay with what you have. It will lead you to justify how much debt that you can put on. And when your finances get overwhelming, it drastically alters every other aspect of your life. Can I get an amen? Okay, it can. It really does, right? And so here's the thing tonight. I'm probably talking to people that are all over the spectrum on where we are financially. Some of you would say, man, I'm in a good spot. I'm exactly where I'd like to be. Uh, but most likely all of us would say, I probably could be in a better shape than I'm in right now. I imagine all of us would say, if I could just go back a few years and have an opportunity to make that decision again, I would do things differently. And some of us have got so many things that are sort of like stacking against us. Like, how do we actually um, go about finding relief from this? And so I want us to look um, tonight uh, at, at a few things here through Scripture. And, um, and as it looks at what does the Bible say about debt. But before you get there, I want to give you, um, th these are some of the stats that I shared tonight. You can sort of, if you want to jot these down or just listen to them. But the reason why I think this is so important is um, 8 out of 10 people who give to churches have zero credit card debt. Now, the reason I share this, I shared this this morning for those that were here. We talked about Malachi and how we talked about tithing and offerings and what this looks like. But this is a, a crazy statistic to me, that 80% of the people who give in a local church are those who have zero credit card debt. And you go, well, what does that have to do with anything? Because when people have a lot of credit card debt, it really tightens the margin that you have for what I would say is income that you could give away, Right. And so when these monthly payments are coming and they're stacking up and you've got to pay this bill and, and sometimes we're using this credit card to pay off that credit card and this is going on and this is going on and it's just sort of all over the place. What takes going on is that it says that 8 out of 10 people who give to churches, so 80% of those who give to a church have zero credit card debt, which shows me something, that sometimes when we get so much debt, we feel like we're paralyzed, right? We cannot really breathe and, and get through to where we need to be. Here's another stat for you. Um, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. Now, we know from Malachi chapter 3, uh, what was sort of the, the, the baseline starting place? It would be not 2.5%, but how much? 10%. That's a tithe, right? That's where you need to start. doesn't mean it's where you need to finish, but on average, it doesn't say the average American person does. It says the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income to churches. Um, now, one of the hard things when you're doing two services in the morning is that I honestly wish if I could cut and paste Parts of the 9 o'clock and parts of the 10.30, it would have made a complete sense for me because I had somebody come up to me after the 10.30 and say, well, you didn't answer that. I was like, ah, oh, I said it at 9 o'clock. And different things that I would forget about and different ones. But I just want to let kind of make sure that you know this is kind of where, where uh, Pastor Travis' conviction is on this. When it comes to tithing, once again, as a, as a church member, I want to start by giving 10% of my gross income. That means before taxes are taken out, Okay. And you go, oh, that's, even, that's even more. That, that's kind of the point, right? Like you don't ever want to say like, how little can I give to what God is doing? So I would say a good starting place for someone who's wanting to give is 10% of the gross, right? What everything that you're supposed to get paid before Uncle Sam and everybody else kind of sort of takes their, their share of it to say, I want to at least start there, but it doesn't mean that you stop. As mentioned in one or maybe both services today, that um, if you look at the Old Testament, the tithe is a the principle they started with. But in the New Testament, it said, 
They gave everything away. So somewhere between 10 and 100% is a good spot to be in, right? But with this, that's kind of the average. And so for someone who feels defeated, if you go, man, I, I wish I could give 2.5%, maybe that's all you can give. But could you try to say, well, I'm going to try to get to three by the end of this year. I want to s- slowly get there. Um, look at this, this next stat here. Uh, of families that make $75,000 or more, only 1% donated 10% of their income. Of families that make more than $75,000, only 1% of those people donate a, t- a tithe, which shows us this. The more money you have, the tighter grasp you have on it, right? I, I remember I was, I was talking with a couple early on. They're about to get married, and they're like, we're going to start tithing when we get money. I said, no, 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 no. I said, do it now, but we're not making that much. I said, if it's not a principle now, all of a sudden you get more, and it's going to be harder for you to give it away to somebody. It's going to be harder. And so for this show, it's people who give more. And what do they think of themselves? Well, I make so much. If I don't give 10%, if I just give 2%, that's better than some people, right? But God's not after a dollar amount. He's really after our heart and our disposition of, of how we want to get to. Here's, here's one other stat for us. Um, 31% of charitable, charitable giving happens in December. You go, why is that important? Uh, because, uh, why, why do you think that happens, anybody? Taxes, right? You're sort of going, oh, no, I, I might, the government might take more. I need to give some away to somebody really quick, or this is how much I've made this year. And so 31% of charitable giving happens in December. That's why you can't go anywhere without somebody emailing you something, sending you something in the mail. We'd love for you to give a year-end gift, right? Because everybody kind of gives big at that time. Let me tell you, as a church leader, where that's difficult, we just finalized a budget days ago. And it's before December, uh, giving has been taking place. We're going, well, we hope everybody gives it this, right? <laughs> and yet, a lot of times people will just give a lot of December, and that's great, but it's even better if it's just kind of every month people sort of saying, let me contribute to what God is doing. Uh, a couple more of these, just interesting here. 73% of church giving happens throughout the week. You go, what does that mean? That means that only 27% of what at typical places would say the average is are taken in on a Sunday. Monday through Saturday, 73% of other people are giving online or dropping something by the church office and different things like this. It's just, it's a different time that we're kind of in now. And then nearly one-third of Americans pay the minimum on their credit card every month. Now, once again, why, why, why are these two things? You're talking about tithing and you're talking about credit card debt. It's because of this. So many people are so strapped financially, they can't give anything away. You see a need and you want to meet a need, but you just can't. You go, if I do... They're going to come find me, right? They're going to come find me and say, you, you owe us all these bills, and now you've got even more charges. And so how do you get to the place where you're free to do this? And, and as mentioned, I think briefly this morning, um, my friend who said it took them six and a half years after a class to get out of debt so they could finally tithe. But they were so joyful to, that day to say, I finally can give back. It's taken me six and a half years to get out of the hole that I've been in, and now I can be there. That's kind of the goal. And so when we look at what the Bible does say about debt. Let me, let me show you a few verses here. You got them, I wrote them down uh, on the page for you there, so you're not having to play Bible drill the whole morning or, or whole evening here. Proverbs 22, 7 says it this way, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Now these are pretty sharp words from scripture about what debt looks like. And if so many people said, I, I didn't even know that the Bible would talk like that. The rich rules over the poor. And a lot of us would say, yep, felt that in my life. But he says, so if you have to borrow money from the rich, if you have to say, I'm going to find a way to get money from the rich, it's almost as if you were enslaved to the lender. And I'll say this, 
whether it's credit card debt, whether it's a mortgage loan, whether it's car payments, whatever, is there a sense of, <gasps> I feel like they're breathing on my neck. You know, like I can't breathe and I feel like, man, I can't even make a decision because it's, it's like I'm almost enslaved to this and it gets you locked into so much because you're all the time saying, I need to have this, I need to have this, I need to have that. And then ultimately it becomes like you're almost enslaved to it. Romans 13, 7 and 8 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, if I think through this, saying, look, don't owe anybody anything, um, you want to say, if you've got to pay taxes, pay your taxes. You have revenue that's owed some money, do that when you need to. Respect, honor, you know it. But don't owe anybody anything. It's, and like I said, all of us sort of go, well, what about, what about a house payment? What about these things? And what the scripture is teaching is this. The more that you owe other people things, the more stress it's going to bring into your own life, but also the kind of the relationship damage it can happen. Some of you know the pain that when money gets into a family situation, everybody acts like they love each other, right, all the time? I tell you, one of the, the darkest things I've ever had to sit around, and some of y'all would know exactly what I'm talking about, is that when someone has passed away, and I mean, the body's barely even in the ground, and the family is going completely crazy at one another about who's getting what. You know, yeah, it can be something as simple as a lamp. It can be something about finances, who's going to get this to the house. And it's just like, I mean, I know that like. That person's not here, but man, I wish they could just come back up right now and just wear everybody out in this room, right? But it is, it's shocking that how in the moment when you're, you're trying to deal with grief of someone who's passed away, everybody's just thinking about what they can get. And this is kind of the, the sickness that we have. And so in Romans, he's saying, look, don't, don't owe anybody anything. Work through all these things together. Just be in a place where you could say, I, I just am going to give love to one another. Um, look at Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. Let me say that again. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Do you think God's word has something to say about our finances? Sure it does. It's saying, look, the wicked are people who borrow and they don't give back, and they're trying to run away from their responsibilities. But the righteous is someone who, you know what, is generous and gives. Uh, have you ever been the beneficiary of someone who's been generous, like someone who said, I want to bless you, I want to help you, I want to do something for you? I can remember when I was in college, um, I, I was, when I, the first mission trip I ever went on, I remember that they told me how much the plane ticket cost, and I thought, I need to find a boat. <laughs> I'm just going, this is, this is a lot of money, like how am I going to come up with this? And someone said, you need to write some support letters to those people who you know, are really close to you, and, and you need to, to do what you can to, to, to find some people. So you know what I did? As I wrote all the rich people I knew, you know? richest people I knew, and I sent them letters, and I'm going to Mission Field, and I need you to send something back. And you know how, many, how much I got back from those people? Almost zero. Then I started just, I don't know, sending letters out to people who love missions and love me, and guess what happened? I had more than enough. More than enough. Which shows me, once again, the more that you got, <laughs> you got to be careful. A generous heart, it does not mean how much you got in the bank account. I've known some of the most generous people to be some of the poorest that I've ever known. And they're going to say, let me get what, I, what I've got. I've walked into a village in the mountains of China, and I've had a man who, who didn't even have two sets of clothes basically want to, get, um, to, to kill an animal, to get all the best of his food and drink and whatnot because I was a guest in his house, and he wanted to give so much of his wealth away just so I could sit down in his home. 
And what do we do in America when somebody rings the doorbell? Sort of go through the blinds. Who is it? You know, like, you know, oh, no, somebody else. Are they going to want something, right? I'm going to have to open the door and talk to people, right? And yet some of the poorest people I've ever known have been some of the most hospitable. Now, why is that? Once again, the more that you have, it doesn't make you more generous. The wicked borrows. So he's going to borrow money and try to advance his agenda, but he doesn't pay back. And then the righteous, it says, they're generous people. They give. Uh, look at Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Be not one of those people who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? <laughs> this is a, like the Bible does have relevancy for 2019. What's he saying? You put up all kinds of promises that you're going to pay this back, and guess what? You're going to be in so much debt and so much trouble, so many collectors are going to be coming after you. One day you're going to show up there, and they're going to take your bed right from out underneath you. That's how serious this is going to get. Why? Because you always may just keep going, keep going a little, and you just stretch yourself so thin. He goes, don't worry, they'll find you. They'll get their stuff back, and they'll take your bed before all this is said and done. Um, look at Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So here's this picture, right, where Jesus is even saying, hey, you're wanting to do something for the kingdom? You don't go in and say, well, I'm going to build a tower, and you don't know if you have enough money for the bricks. You sit down and you count the cost. Can I do this? The same is true with our financial possessions. Can I do what I feel like I'm supposed to do? And then 1 Timothy 5.8 is a very challenging verse for us to read together, but it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now this is some serious words from the Apostle Paul to his son of the faith, Timothy. He's going to say this, You need to provide for your family members, especially for members of your own household, uh, if you don't, you're denying the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, why would he say something like this, and why, how does this interact with, with debt? So many people cannot provide for their family because they're in debt up to their eyeballs with stuff that, honestly, they don't need, okay? And then especially if you're so much financial trouble, here's what I have seen, and it is one of the hardest things for somebody to come in and say, my father just passed away, or my mother just passed away, and I thought they were financially well off, and I just found out. <laughs> I'm paying for the funeral bill. I'm paying for backlog medical bills. I'm paying for all this kind of stuff, and their mortgage is upside down and all kinds of stuff, and I'm just overwhelmed by it. And guess what happens now to this person who might be 60 years old, and now their parent has passed. Now their financial situation is going whew, completely sidelined. Now they can't do stuff that they wanted to in their church or for their kids and you name it, and how much this challenges. And so he says, look, even right now in your life and even after your death, you've got to make sure that you can provide for those that you're responsible for. So when the Bible talks about debt, it's got some very critical things to say. And here's the question, should I incur more debt than what I've got? And uh, some of you'd probably say, well, I'm stressed out already, Trav. Well, no, I don't. But let me give you the reason why I would say you don't need to. Number one, beware of comparison. Don't let what others own, own you. Don't let what others own, own you. You see what somebody has, and you think you got to have it. And you got to be really, really careful. There's a reason why. This is top ten of the commandments, right? Last one. Don't envy or don't covet. Don't look at what somebody else has. In fact, it's funny, because the shorthand version of the tenth commandment is this. Don't covet. But what he actually says is, don't covet your, uh, your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't cover your neighbor's donkey, which I think basically means... Your, his car. Uh, don't don't um, don't covet your your neighbor's ox. Uh, and then he just says, 
oh, or anything else that belongs to your neighbors. Okay, it's just like God's going, you get the rest of it, right? But he's saying, so, so don't covet somebody else's what they live in, who they're married to, the occupation they have, the possessions they have, just anything that belongs to their neighbor. Why? Because if you start letting what others own, it will own you. And you'll start thinking, I got to have it. I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And people will make all types of unfortunate decisions to, because they're comparing themselves to what other people have. And let's just be honest. I, I had a mentor in college who told me this. One time I, he asked me something, and I said, well, it's just not fair. And he said, stop. And I said, what? He goes, if anyone ever says to me, it's not fair, I always tell them they have to add two words to that. I said, what's that? He goes, you say it's not fair to compare. Because whenever you're saying that's not fair, you're comparing yourself to something else that you think you ought to have or they shouldn't have. You're always comparing, right? And so with this, you got to be very careful in comparison. Number two, beware of discontentment. When you can't afford the type of lifestyle you think you deserve, you will make financial decisions that will cost you more in the long run. So when you get discontent, you will start uh, and thinking you can't afford the type of lifestyle that you think you deserve, you will make financial decisions that will cost you more in the long run. Now, um, I grew up in a single-parent um, house, single-parent income. My mom was a school teacher, and anybody who's ever worked in education knows you're not making ton of bank, okay? Like, this, it's, a, it's a job that you feel called to, but it, it can be, it's not nearly, uh, if you look at how many hours they put in and whatnot, I, I'm just saying this, teachers need a raise, okay? They need a raise, they're in overtime, you name it. Uh, but we, we lived in kind of that environment, right? Um, but when I was, here, here's what I know, even in a single parent house, th these are the rules that my mom gave me, right? Well, we, we, um, God takes care of us, but we don't have a lot of money, so if we go out to eat, you get water. Okay, like that was the rules that I had for financial lessons for my mama. So if we went to Ryan's Steakhouse every so often, and we were going to go, y'all remember Ryan's? Y'all remember? Okay, if we were going to Ryan's, and if we were going to eat at Ryan's, then it's like, oh man, we, we're eating out real big time now, and we get to go out to eat. This is awesome. We're not getting a bologna sandwich again. We're eating out, but you drink water. Why? Because that, that, that Coke, man, it costs a lot of money. Okay, so you are going to drink water, and, uh, and that's kind of the, the mentality that I always had. Um, but, but with that, when, when I think about like all that thing, like my mom, she would, we didn't have a whole lot of stuff throughout the year, but she would try to do Christmas really big for us, really just try to save up and really try to bless her kids and, and try to help out. Um, but even in that, in that household, right at age 15, my mom got me a 1988 Bronco two. Okay. Now it was, it was about 95. I guess that was about 95, 96 when that happened, right? But a 1988 Bronco 2, man, this thing was sweet. Okay, it was, it was just great. It was a great little ride, and, and I, I loved it. It was such a gift to me. But here's the thing I, I want to show you something. When I'm a 15-year-old kid in a single-parent house, and at about 15 years old, I have my own car, and I got clothes, and I'm going on whatever trip I want to, guess what happens by the time I get 21 and I'm starting to live on my own? I think that's the standard. Right? I can remember. I'm going to be straight with y'all. I can remember coming off my honeymoon, going to the mailbox, and I get something in the mail that says, you owe taxes. I'm like, oh, what? And it's like, your cars. And I said, what? And then Amanda had another one. We got back on our honeymoon. Two car taxes were sitting there in our mailbox. And I called my mom. I said, what are these? She's like, adulthood, welcome. You know, like, I go, this is, this is awful. You know, this is absolutely awful, right? But, but and so, so I'm saying this, that I got used to a certain type of lifestyle that I think I should always have. You know, and I, didn't, I didn't have to work for that car. Mom said, keep your grades well. You know, 
I could go on trips. I could do things with my friends. I, I, we were blessed. Even though we weren't as financially well off as other people, we were blessed. And let me tell you something that's happening right now. I would say 20 and 30-year-olds who grew up very, very well off. Then all of a sudden, they get into a job, and they're not making the type of money that mom and dad were making when they were both working for 25 years and advancing their career. And they go, what do you mean I can't buy that type of car? What do you mean I can't live in that type of house? What do you mean I can't go on that trip? And they're going to figure out how to do it. And you know how you do it? Debt. Get a loan. Get a loan, pay off that loan, and you just get so much. But why? Because your standard of lifestyle is at this place. Number three, beware of normalization. Just because everyone else is in debt does not mean that you need to be. Okay? That's just a way of life. You know, everybody's got to have it. No, they don't. No, they don't. Uh, just because everybody else is um, absolutely going crazy doesn't mean you have to either, okay? So just because everyone else is in debt doesn't mean that you have to be. In fact, you have to be really careful. You don't normalize what other people are going through. Um, it is shocking to me, um, but the normalization of how this is, I can remember working on a university campus, and uh, we, we had rules that churches could not bring certain things. There was this... Um, kind of business fair that people would come into and, and so we'd bring in a table and try to introduce students to whatever we were representing and we had rules as a church of what we could and could not come to and some things churches weren't allowed to because we would you know complicate the matters and probably upset students but you know what the university would do they'd invite every credit card company as they possibly could to campus just fill the campus up with them and telling these kids, oh, don't worry, you can't buy for that, don't worry. We can get you pre-approved right now to get you a loan. Don't you worry about that. You can pay for it a while. We even give you a free T-shirt. <gasps> really? I'll get a T-shirt? Yeah. You go into debt for the next 30 years of your life, but you get a T-shirt that'll last you for three months, right? And so these universities, you know why? Because those universities get a kickback from every credit card company that comes in. So they let these credit card companies come on that campus, and I would say rob these students without their parents saying, hey, by the way, watch out for that. But this university also wouldn't let churches come on because we were the dangerous ones, right? In that perspective. So this normalization, everybody's in debt, everybody needs a credit card, come on, you're going, uh, that, that's just what you need to do. Number four, beware of materialism. You must learn to differentiate between what you want and what you need. You got to differentiate between what you want and between what you need. Um, Y'all ever had a child tell you that they need a toy? Daddy, I need it. No, 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 no. You don't need it, right? You're going to, let me tell you something that was really neat. Um, so uh, Christy does a great job taking different uh, kids from the church here. They go to um, Project Host and uh, Soup Kitchen. Uh, some of our uh, middle school boys went a couple Sundays ago now, maybe three or so, where they went, and on a Sunday, uh, they, they're, they're skipping service to go help people at the soup kitchen. And you know what? I had some parents come up to me and said, I'm so glad my son's going today. I said, why? They need a reality check. It's what well, it's kind of the, the mindset, right? But, but here's the thing is that it's interesting that when kids will go into a certain situation, they think it's one thing. When they go in and see people who aren't doing as well off as they are, it, it kind of changes your perspective that, in a little bit. Kind of just opens your eyes a little bit. I had someone speak to me recently, uh, even an adult who has just lived very, very well off and their family's gotten in a financial mess. And they said, I went to go and help out uh, at a place that just where some people were sort of in a rough spot and said, I came back going, I don't have it rough. I need a wake-up call. I'm blessed. Even, even in a time in my life where I'm not where I think I should be. And so you have to be careful because you'll start telling yourself what you want is actually what you need. Uh, number five, beware of interest. 
Going into debt for a purchase always ensures that you pay more for something than what it is actually worth. So the interest is going to be that they're going to tack that on, and you're going to, it's only $100 when you put on the credit card before it's all over. You're going to pay way more than $100 on it, right? And we're going to kind of unpack that here in a second. And then if you turn over the back side, number six, beware of delusion. Refusing to deal with debt deludes you into thinking you are better off financially than you really are. Oh, I, I, look at all this stuff I own. Mm-mm, you don't know it yet. You owe 23% of it. And the thing is about debt, you can spend so many years of your life paying on it. And guess what? By the time you pay it off, you're not even using it anymore. Or it's obsolete, right? I mean, you got that brand new car, and guess what? As soon as he took it off a lot, it depreciates in value like crazy. And next year, you know what that company's going to do? Come up with a new model. Tell you everything that you, well, you shouldn't have got that one. You need this one out, right? And it's going to tell and, and you just get yourself in this trap, right? So uh, here, let's, let's talk some good stuff. How can I get out of debt? I'm so glad you asked. All right. Um, number one, uh, remove the possibility of going further in debt than what you already are. That's step number one. So one of the best things that you can do, I would say invest in, but don't put it on a credit card, is get you a pair of scissors and just start cutting them up, okay? Cutting the credit cards up, whatever you got to do. Um, remove, if you were in somewhat debt right now, I would remove the possibility of going further in debt than what you already are. So um, right before we got married, we had um, a, a family that was close to us uh, get some horrible financial situation. Uh, and it scared me and my wife enough, and because here was kind of the deal. Uh, one spouse took care of these um, bills, and this spouse took care of these bills, and they kind of, my salary does this, and I can do whatever I want to, and well, my salary does this, and I can do whatever I want to, but you take care of that, you take care of that. And all of a sudden, one day, when the, um, the bank came in and said, hey, you're, uh, we got your house now, we own it. I'm like, what do you mean? We haven't been making payments for months. What are you talking about? He makes payments all the time. Honey, I don't know what they're talking about. I'll go and talk to him. Turns and finds out this guy was uh, in video poker, had taken away all the family's income, uh, and that he had gotten in so much trouble uh, that they lost the house. The family ended up eventually uh, getting divorced and, and all kinds of horrible, horrible stuff uh, that took place. So it, it scared me enough, um, and also to find out that there was a lot of credit cards and stuff that were involved in bouncing this and bouncing that. Then I looked at my wife, and once again, we were, well, my fiancé at the time, and I said, uh, I don't know anything about this, but I know that I don't want a credit card, uh, and I want us to have one checking account, okay? Like, that's just how I want us to start. Um, so we're gonna, we might get two debit cards, but we're going to have one checking account. So therefore, whatever I have, because by the way, marriage is not a pair, it's not a combo, it's not a team. It says you become one, right? So it's like my stuff and your stuff. It's one. I don't have anything that doesn't belong to her, right? And so, so I wanted us to have one checking account. The only problem with that is this. She knew everything I was doing. <laughs> Nosy, right? Okay, she knew everything that I was doing, but also knew this. I didn't want anything to do with the credit card. Scared to death of them. And I said this. If we need it, we should be able to pay for it with cash. If we can't pay for it with cash, probably don't need it. Probably don't need it. Outside of anything that was a major purchase for us, like a house, by the way, I didn't have enough cash coming out of college to buy a house, okay? And that's something a little different what we'll talk about, right? But as far as just, oh, well, let's go out to eat on this, or we go on a trip over here, and we'll go buy this for the house, we, don't, we do not need that. We don't need it. We'll figure it out. So we were gifted a lot of hand-me-down furniture, uh, and I was thankful for it. Some of that hand-me-down furniture, we still hanging on to 15 years later, right? And guess what? We're not in debt because of it. And so it's just these gifts, and you have to start. So those kind of things sort of help um, 
gravitate my mind. And so I would encourage anybody here that says, you know what, I'm struggling with debt. First off, the thing you got to do is remove the possibility of going further into it. Number two, um, well, what is this? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is the credit card thing. Let me show you this. Okay, just to keep everybody in mind, so if, if you did have a credit card, right, uh, and you'd say, well, I think differently than this, if the balance on that credit card is $5,000 and the rate of interest is 18.9%, it gives you a monthly payment of $200. So that, that makes you feel good because you go, hey, got $5,000, you know, I got a couch on there and we took a vacation on that, whatever, and there's a rate of 18.9%, and the payoff is for 137 months on $5,000 that you spent. You know what you will spend in eventually 137 months? Here's the price tag on that $5,000. You will spend $8,109 before it's all said and done. Okay? And that takes you 11.4 years to pay it off, by the way. So if you borrowed $5,000 on a credit card and they're just making you just pay the minimum payment, don't worry, you can stretch this out. Don't worry, you got time. Time, 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 time. time. And what are they doing? They're making money off you. They're not trying to help you out. They're trying to help themselves out. So you say, I only need $5,000. It's going to take me 11 years to pay it off. And in the end, you actually spent $3,000 more on that stuff. And guaranteed, by the time those 11 years are over, you're not even using that stuff anymore. You're not even using it. And you're, you're still paying on it. Still paying on it, right? And so this is showing why these things, you've got to be so, so very careful. So now let's look at number two. So create a monthly budget to determine where your money is going before it is spent. Create a monthly budget to determine where your money is going before it is spent. And you go, it goes too quick for me to even know where it goes. Okay, that's even more important. Why you gots to do this, okay? So um, I can remember once again, Amanda and I got married. We're living in a double-wide trailer that the church provided for us, and we were as happy as can be. Back in those days, oh, I just remember it. The only two bills I had were an electricity bill and a cell phone bill. Those were the days. I just miss it, right? Okay, it was, just, it was wonderful. I even had somebody cut my grass, and it basically took them all about 0.5 seconds to do. It was like, whoop, he was done, right? But it was just great. And, uh, and somebody that worked for the church, they came in, they cut our grass and, and fixed things for us. But um, one of the things I can remember, um, there was a pivotal moment in our marriage, and I, I love sharing this story because it was early on, and, and my wife, she was still, this was, you know, she was balancing the checkbook. She was really good at that, and I was just good at spending money. And, and you know, and just knowing, but, but that year before we got married, uh, I, I mean, basically, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I wasn't spending a lot of money. I ate ramen noodles just about every night. You can save some money on a ramen noodle diet, right? Now, your sodium's high, but it's okay, though, okay? Like, so I can just remember I was saving money. We weren't making a lot, but I was saving. So by the time that we got married, I was like, girl, I, I got us some money. Like, we're, we're good. And she had a job, and I thought, man, this is awesome. So in my mind, once again, coming from drinking water whenever we go out to eat and whatnot, and now all of a sudden we get one uh, checking account, and we're doing our thing. Like, this will be easy, right? We'll be all good to go. I can remember one night, she's there balancing the checkbook, trying to make sure everything's straight. She goes, oh, did you spend any money today? I was like, yeah, um, yep, I went out for lunch today. Uh, she goes, oh, what did what, you spend? I was like, oh, I went to La Hacienda. I got a Speedy with rice, but don't worry, I got water. She goes, okay, that's, that's fine, but she goes, do you have a receipt? I'm going, a uh, receipt. Um, I, nah, I, I can't find it. Oh, do you know how much it was? Yeah, it was four something. Four something. Dear, is there a problem? <laughs> she just seen when she's writing it down, trying to balance the checkbook, and she looked at me. She goes, I don't know why don't you, you don't love me enough to care about our finances. I, I said, what? She said, 
I just wish you'd care more about me and care about our finances. And I said, I got water to drink. What are you talking about, right? And I'm sitting here thinking like, this is $4. But what did that represent to her, especially all the men in the room? That represented fear for her because I was making her insecure. Her man wasn't knowing where things were and how to do things. And she goes, if he can't keep up with the full receipt, how in the world is he going to deal with a house payment one day? How in the world is he going to deal with kids if they come around, right? He can't keep up with the receipt. And I'm sitting here thinking, this woman is absolutely out of her mind, right? That's what I'm thinking. Like, why is she so upset about this? It represented she wanted to make sure her man was a rock, secure, and thinking ahead. So what did I do? I changed. Simple as that. I was an unorganized, undisciplined mess of a person who could not find a receipt, and I changed for her sake. Why? Because Christ laid himself down for his bride, and so I wouldn't for me as mine as well. That's why I decided, right? I'm just going to do that. And so for me, I changed the way that I did. And so I start coming together, and we create a monthly budget, and I say, all right, I make this, and you make this. And we got this payment, and this payment, and uh-oh, it's, it's May, which means we got... Mother's Day coming up, and we got these kind of gifts that we got to think about, and, and we've got this debt from student loan, because once again, we were just coming out of college. At that time, we had some stuff like that we were dealing with, and so we started just trying to figure out where's all that money going, and I can tell you, that hour a month paid dividends for our marriage and for our security. It was incredible, you know? I learned how to make a spreadsheet. I didn't even know what those things were, right? I mean, getting out a calculator, I was, I, I was feeling excited. I mean, but, it, but what it did for my wife was, wow, he, he's thinking about this, and he's making me feel secure. So when you start creating a monthly budget, here's where this goes to next. Number three, I would encourage write out all your debts into columns with the remaining amount and minimum payments. So look at all your debts into columns. So write them all down with the remaining amount and minimum payments. And you say, Pastor, I don't want to see that. You got to embrace it. Put it all on the page. What do you owe? What is it that you owe to anybody? Is there any, anybody that you'd say, you know what, I owe this to anybody? And so you just start putting those things down somewhere where you can do this. So this is what it would look like, okay? Um, the next is number four, organize your debts from the smallest to the largest. So take all your debts and sort of organize them just left to right, right to left, either it's largest to smallest, smallest to largest. Just get a, some kind of column, that, right, where you put these things down and then you can organize. So what this would look like is, let's give an example. Let's say you had a car loan for $10,000. The minimum payment for that is $400 a month. You got a credit card bill that's $5,000, and the minimum payment for that is $200. And then you got another credit card that's $1,000 on it, and the minimum payment is $40. Okay, so those are your three debts that you got hanging. Anybody just feeling stressed out? Like, Pastor, I came for relief tonight. Why do we got to put my stuff up there, right? Now, for some of us up right here tonight, here's what I realize. Some of us would say, oh, that's not that bad. And some of you go, I wish I could be there, right? We're all in a different place, but let me just give you this as an example. So, so the deal is this, you, you organize it and say, okay, let me get the, 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 really see how much I owe on all of these and what the minimum payments are. But we're talking about, if you look at that right column, $640 a month just to pay the minimum payment, right? $640 on $16,000 that you owe. You already see what happens to that interest, right? Over time, you're going to spend more than $16,000. Well, here's what uh, number five is, and we'll sort of unpack this a little bit more. Prioritize paying the monthly amount on each debt. Prioritize where you say, I am going to pay the monthly amount on each debt. I'm going to at least get started there. I'm not going to bounce it from this place to that place. I'm going to start getting it out and, and putting it together. So you prioritize that, right? You prioritize paying those debts off each time monthly or whatever it is and look at it so that you get to that place, okay? All right, the next thing is this. Let me show you this. So if you look at it, right? 
We go, the car loan is for $400, credit card is $200, and you say, okay, what, this, that third credit card, you see how the minimum payment is $40? Right beside it, I'd recommend if you had $200 that was just extra, I put $240 down on it. And you go, what? But they only want 40. I know, because they want to keep making money on you. You, you take that away from them. Don't, don't let them do it. Yes, sir, you got a question? Or answer? Yeah, you look at the interest rate for sure. Absolutely. Look at the interest rates here to see if, if one is higher than the other. Obviously, you would sort of say, okay, I want to put this one in, in, in a different spot. But with this, the main thing is a lot of times you're in an average kind of sp space of what a lot of these can be, right? So a lot of things, I think the average of a credit card is 19.3% in America right now, the interest rate. But 19.3% is the average is what I read this morning, at least as far as was 2019. So if you look at that, though, this is why I would encourage putting everything else that you got on that smallest one. And you might think, put it on the largest one. But here's what, what can happen, right? Number six, put every possible extra dollar towards the smallest debt on your list. You got extra money, you put it towards that smallest debt, given the fact that there wasn't an interest rate, some kind of thing, just like you said, Brian. But you want to make sure you say, put as much as you can towards that smallest debt on your list. So instead of putting $40, you put $240 down. Now, now, number seven is this. Once you pay the smallest debt off, apply everything from the first debt to the second debt. So if you get that first one just done, instead of you going, ooh, now what can I go do on the weekend? <laughs> Take everything you were doing on that first one and put it on top of that second one. Okay? So, so let me show you how this would, would look on the chart. You get done with that, that last one, that credit card that was $1,000. You paid it off at 240 now, instead of paying the 200 guess what you're doing? You're paying 440 on it. Y'all following me? So you see the bottom, bottom one, credit card's $1,000. You have to pay 40 but you've been paying 240 You've now paid that one off. Now you go up next to that $5,000 one. They want you to put $200 on. You've been doing that, but now you take the 240 you were putting on that bottom one, you stack it on that medium-sized one, and now you're paying $440. You see what happens here? You start making some traction. You start getting free from the debtors. <laughs> You can breathe a little bit. Put everything that you can on that medium-sized debt. And guess what happens when you pay that one off? Anybody see where this is going? Put everything extra that you can on that top one, right? So this is called continue this debt snowball until all your debts are done. This is a term that a lot of different people have used, whether it's Dave Ramsey, but there's people before Dave Ramsey ever said this. But the debt snowball is this. Imagine a snowball at the top of a hill, and it's rolling down. It gets bigger as it goes, right? That's kind of the concept. So start small, pay that off as fast as you possibly can, and then as you get past that, you just keep moving stuff there, keep moving stuff there, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You can start to breathe. You can start to breathe. And, and, and it's what amazing is, is that you can start seeing some freedom in your life. So I told you, we got married. Um, we had a student loan we had to pay for. We did have a car payment at that time we had to pay for. Uh, and we also knew, uh, once we were married for a few years, that there was a baby on the way, okay? The hospital said, hey, your insurance will kick in this, but this is how much you owe right over here, okay? Unless something goes crazy, this is what you expect to pay. So I started looking at that. I was thinking about all the, the debt stuff, and I was trying to get our, ourselves out of it. So I started, this is funny, I always make, I always make Obadiah, our first son, uh, firstborn, or remember this, I said, I paid the doctor bills off before you were ever alive, okay? Like I just said, okay, what, what's the payment? I got to pay this. So I paid everything I could to the hospital before he was even born, knowing we were going to have to pay this. 
Then once I did that, I applied everything I else had left on this truck payment that I had. Should have never had, I, I should have, if one thing I regretted early on is that I got a truck payment. I didn't need that truck. I should have got something a lot cheaper. In fact, later in my life, that's what I'd always do. This is what I got cash. I'm, I'm going to go with it, right? But I had, so I paid everything off and I, I was able to pay that truck off. Then I was able to pay all of our student loans off right before our first son was born. And I was feeling free. Ooh, man, I, I felt free. Only debt we had was our, our house. We're paying on our house. And, I, and we're going to be doing that for a while, right? Okay. So that was the only thing we had left. No other debt to our, our name. We've been married about four years and I felt free. And then you know what happens? Six weeks into our first child being alive, my wife looks at me and her entire plan was, I'm going to uh, take care of him this summer and then one of my friends is going to watch him and we're going to do this and then I'm going to go back to work. At six weeks, she looks at me and she goes, I don't want to go back to work. I said, huh? What do you mean? She said, I don't want to pay my friend to do what I want to do. I want to stay home with my son. Now, now here's the thing, folks. I don't have anything against somebody who says that they want to work and somebody that, that, that's not what this point is about. I'm showing you this. Life happens and you change. And that wasn't on the calendar for us. That wasn't on... Now, let me tell you something, if I'm, if I'm shooting straight with you. If we had had those three debts, and maybe even some more, and she looks at me and she goes, I don't want to stay home, you know what I may have had to tell her? We don't have an option. You got to work. I can't pay this. I, I, I can't do this. And I, You're going to have to go back to work. But because we got free of that debt, she looks at me and she goes, I want to stay home. I said, okay. She said, oh. Don't do that, Travis Agnew. Everything's going to be okay thing you do. And she said, don't, don't. I said, no, no, no. I said, we have totally based our house payment on, on my job. And I, we don't have any other debt in the world. It might be tight, but we can do it. We'll do it. I'll take care of it. If I have to work an extra job, we'll do it. I'll do whatever we got to do. To make, and, and I'm telling you this. At that point, then also later on in our life, where God led us down to a path of adoption, and, uh, and I, had a, I had a wreck in one of our vehicles, and this is what took place. Um, I won't bore you with all this story. This is funny just to sort of show you how God works us out. I was on my way to seminary for my doctoral defense. And going to Kentucky, I'm driving her Ford Taurus because it's a lot better on the gas mileage than that, that truck that I had. I just paid off right. I am about an hour from my doctoral defense, and I hydroplane on the interstate, almost get hit by an 18-wheeler, um, completely crash up against the median there in the middle of the interstate. And I finally, I'm able to get up as, as, as drenched in rain, and I get on top of the car so I can call Amanda. And I'm like, hey, by the way, everything's okay. What's wrong? I said, I started off saying it's okay. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And I said, I've had a wreck. I'm okay. Um, but just your car, I think it's going to be okay. Oh, wait, the bumper is 60 feet back there. Uh, and so I, I totaled her for Taurus. And so I remember I went there, got the whole doctoral defense done, came home. And what was funny was on the phone, I'm sitting out there on the interstate, and she said, Trav, she goes, you won't believe this. I mean, I'm literally in the rain on top of the car. And she says, you know what? I was praying this morning. I said, what? She said, you know how heavy Obadiah is, and I keep moving him in and out of that Taurus. I just said, Lord, I just wish we could get a van or something. And so I prayed today that God would get us a van. And I said, warn me next time. I almost died, okay? Like, I'm literally near death. And, and what is she saying? She said, I want to do this. And so we get home. Okay, this is what we're going to have to do, right? We're just going to have to get another car payment. But I felt free. Oh, I don't want another car payment, though. And we were in the process of adopting. There's a lot of legal fees that go into adoption. You've got to take care of a lot of different things when you're doing something like that. And I'm going, man, I don't know. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sell my truck, and we're going to take whatever we get from the insurance, and we're going to get you a nice van. And whatever we have left over, that's what I'm going to ride in. 
So I sold my truck. Uh, we got the money from the insurance from Ford Taurus. We got her van, and I had $2,000 left over. And you know what? I got about an 18-year-old Mercury Mystique, and in my big frame, I look like a clown car. And you know what? I was thankful to God. No debt. Free. And then all of a sudden, when an adoption process that we thought we had another 18 months fast-forwarded, and they said, you need to go now, and that money needs to be ready now, guess what? God provided. Now, I say that to say, those are two life experiences I did not anticipate coming. But if I had been tied up with debt, probably would have had to say no at two pivotal times in my life. Now, that's where I'm saying, I want to free people up, right? To do the things when it happens that God has called you to do, and you can allow yourself to it. But if you're so overwhelmed with so many things that you've got to pay for, even when you have an opportunity to provide yourself like that, you won't be able to say yes to it. So you continue that debt snowball until all your debts are done. And when you do that, number nine, don't get rid of your old debts so that you can get new ones. It's not the goal, oh, good, let me go borrow some more money. No, no, no. You just got out of Egypt, right? You're no longer enslaved. Don't go back. <laughs> Don't go back. Get, get out, get free, and just say, let me just do what, what I need to do, right? I don't, I don't want to live under that oppression anymore. This is something that's going to sound absolutely crazy. Maybe for some of us here, it did to me the first time anybody told me this, but number 10, work to be in a financial position where you can pay cash for all purchases. Whew. Man. That seems overwhelming. Let me tell you something what happens when you go and pay $2,000 for a car and you don't have a monthly payment. Tell you instead of like going, well, you know, we want to get this couch right now. Let's put it on and it's going to cost $1,000, but we're going to put on a credit card. and Eventually, it's probably going to cost about $2,200, whatever. It, just, it continues to grow. We don't need it right now. Why? We don't have the money for it. So you save. You discipline yourself. You do the hard things. And then guess what? When you've got it, you pay for it. And there, there's no concerns there anymore. And so for some people to say, I'm not even in a place to do that right now, that's what you work towards. Work towards where you're free. And the reason why I would say, why should I be free from debt? Here's the last few things I'll say. Dealing with debt is a burden that affects every area of life. It does. It'll hit, uh, hit you mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, relationally. It just gets you. At every aspect of your life, it will literally be a burden that you feel like you cannot come up out of. And so when you say, okay, I, I want to be free from this, once again, it is a burden that you feel always is pressure uh, on you.